This episode of Gospel Bound is brought to you by Crossway and the new ESV Bible app. The ESV Bible app is designed to help you engage with God's Word on a deeper level, offering elegant, intuitive features to personalize your study, including multiple audio recordings of the full ESV text, audio playlists, customizable background music, daily reading plans, and more. Download the ESV Bible app on your phone or tablet or visit esv.org to get started. This is Gospel Bound, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition for those searching for resolute hope in an anxious age. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. I'm your host, Colin Hansen, and I'm glad you're here for today's conversation. On today's episode of Gospel Bound, we're featuring a clip from an interview between TGC senior writer Sarah Zalstra and her guest, J.D. Greer, lead pastor of the Summit Church in North Carolina and the 62nd president of the Southern Baptist Convention. To hear the full episode, head to TGC Podcast Episode 169. That's TGC Podcast Episode 169, or click the link in today's show notes. Hi there, this is Sarah Zylstra, Senior Writer for the Gospel Coalition. My job is to find and report on places where God's Spirit is at work in the world. And so I hear a lot of stories of Christians who are living sacrificial, joyful, kingdom-advancing, God-glorifying lives, and I'm so excited to share this one with you. In a few weeks, thousands of Southern Baptists will head to Nashville, Tennessee for their annual meeting. So will news reporters, because the Southern Baptist Convention is huge. 14.5 million at last count, making it the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. In fact, their 47,000 churches are more than the combined number of Starbucks, McDonald's, and Subways in America. So that means the trajectory and priorities of the SBC affect a lot of things, from American culture to federal politics to the orthodoxy of many of America's churches. So the person who leads the SBC then is pretty influential. Perhaps as a safeguard, he doesn't actually hold a lot of decision-making power. The programs are mostly run by staff, and he's limited to two single-year terms in a row. Except J.D. Greer, who is just completing an unprecedented three-year term, extended because of COVID concerns that canceled last year's meeting. He's a 47-year-old pastor from North Carolina whose church has sent out more than 1,400 missionaries and planted more than 40 churches. I wrote about that in my new book with Colin Hansen, Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. Over the past few years, Greer has watched the SBC wrestle through sex abuse scandals, through COVID-19, and through the contentious presidential election. So he's got a pretty good handle on where the denomination sits and where he hopes it's going. To tell the story of Greer's presidency, we actually have to go back to 2016, when SBC messengers split the vote right down the middle between Greer and Memphis pastors Steve Gaines. To break the tie, they voted again, but again it was too close to call. So they scheduled a third vote. A lot of times I'll joke that only in the Southern Baptist Convention could you have a runoff between two candidates and still not end up with a majority. How does that even happen? But, you know, it was it was it, it, there was a moment in there where we were trying to figure out, like, what's the right way to do this? Hey, do I if we do this again, who's likely going to win? 
And it was, I don't know, it was one of those moments where the the wise thing, the, the what the spirit of God wanted just became very obvious. And it, you know, when something like it happens, sometimes it feels as, as plain as the, the nose on your face. And it was just clear that that God was, you know, calling me in that moment to step back. I've, I've Steve, I love Steve, uh, Dr. Gaines, and just, you know, felt like I'm, I'm, I'm glad to follow him as, as, as the president. And I think there was something in that, that kind of spoke peace and a humility that the Southern Baptist convention really in its better moments is characterized by when we realize that it's not about personality or, position. It's really about the Great Commission. And um, I remember, you know, explaining that we just felt like we have a mission too urgent and a gospel too precious to let any anything like this stand in the way. And yeah, I think for a couple of years, it allowed us all to rally behind Steve. You know, his his focus was on prayer and evangelism. And uh, I mean, who can be against that? And, you know, who doesn't want to get excited about that? During Gaines's tenure, the convention condemned Confederate flags, Donald Trump was elected, and a few sex abuse cases started to be reported in the SBC. But in some ways, that was a lot easier than what was coming. I feel like you now had to do a much, like you had to do this for three years. I feel like it was a much more difficult time stretch. Do you wish you would have just pushed Steve Gaines right off the stage and quit <laughs> taking it back in 2016? Have you seen Steve Gaines? <laughs> Nobody's pushing him anywhere, just to be clear on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, 2016 to 2018, Steve had a lot of challenges. He will tell you that. But there were some unique things, the sexual abuse crisis that came up in 2018. During Greer's first year in office, he heard from the Houston Chronicle that 380 SBC church leaders were probably guilty of sexual abuse over a period of 20 years. And then he heard from his own appointed committee that the SBC had failed to care for abuse survivors while protecting the abusers from police and from unemployment. It was his wife, Veronica, who saw this as a confirmation that he was in the right spot. I mean, she would always tell me like, you know, th th that bigger stage that you think it, it's not going to make your life any better. Not only will it not satisfy you, it's going to make your life more complicated. She would always tell me fame is making yourself accessible to people you don't really care about at the expense of those that you do. She's like, this is going to decrease your quality of living. And so she was actually, she's not against it. Like, she, I mean, I, I went into this with her blessing, but we didn't go into it with her saying, this is what we got to do, you know, or anything. But when this sexual abuse crisis thing came up, I remember she told me, she says, now I see why God had you here in this moment because of some things we've dealt with in the church and some things that God has taught us that allowed us to be able to say, hey, we need a different approach when it comes to this that's less focused on defending the reputation of the church and is more focused on the ones that Jesus gave his life to to help and to save, and that is the victim. They're the one that, we, if we're going to err on, on, on anything, we need to err on the side of the victim. And that was something that, you know, God wrote it into our story and our understanding and realizing that while that was the difficult challenge that was not on my radar when I came into it in 2018, it was one that, that was, I think, obviously, it was divinely appointed. The 2019 meeting was themed Gospel Above All, and it was pretty quiet by SBC standards. The repudiation of sexual abuse and the desire to address it was something everyone could get behind. In fact, the meeting was so friendly that Christianity Today's headline read, Will Southern Baptist Political Truths Last Through 2020? Well, as you know, almost nothing lasted through 2020. I mean, the COVID thing, you know, that's another challenge, obviously. That's just been, I don't know, I mean, what in the world are you supposed to do with that? I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, that's, 
that's been a moment that has allowed for a lot of controversy because as most church local church pastors have experienced when people are at home without that interaction and the social elixir of getting around people and and the in-person part of being in the church you a lot of these these problems and drama and conflict has come to the surface. Well, that's been true in the SBC, you know, as a whole also. And what was sad was that it, it was revealed that for a lot of people, their primary identity and their primary hope was their political alignment. For many in America, the SBC included political affiliation dictated how concerned they were about COVID, what they thought of the George Floyd demonstrations, and whether they'd be willing to get a vaccine. By August, pastors reported to LifeWay Research that they were having trouble maintaining unity, that pastoral care from a distance was difficult, and that they were feeling exhausted, stressed, and isolated. I've been discouraged at how our enemy has taken some of our leadership and certain voices to try to say, let's, you know, let's focus more on on the culture of religion and some of the what I call the the leaven of the Pharisees. Let's focus more on that and less on on the on the unity and centrality of the gospel. Um, I, I do think that was there in you know kind of seed form, but you know it's there's certain occasions that give rise to certain sinful tendencies, and I think the, this last year scared a lot of people, and so they retreated into the. Um, into the the idol that made them feel secure, which was their politics, and you know they weren't able to gather as a church and realize that people that had different perspectives on this could still be united in love for Jesus, and that wasn't the main thing. Plus, I mean, let's just deal with the reality: the average pastor gets to disciple his congregation in these things at most one hour a week, and these same people are watching three hours of discipleship on Fox News and MSNBC or CNN at night, and so they're adopting the. The, the patterns of the world, which are built on, you know, uh, separation and, and, um, and division. It was, uh, I don't want to say it was always there. And we just had it covered up. I think the seeds of it were there, but this particular moment was where, was where God revealed cracks in the foundation. And I have to believe that, you know, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and that he's got a good purpose for the evangelical church in the future because of this. Cracks have appeared in the SBC before most memorably in the 1980s and 1990s when the denomination was headed the same direction as the other liberal mainline churches. But while the problem back then was wrong doctrine, today Greer sees wrong culture. That was a legacy that was passed to us. And what I, to use the terms, is you know, I call it the leaven of the Pharisees on the other side. And there is, you know, Jesus with the Sadducees and their denial of certain things, but then there was Pharisees and it wasn't that what they believed was wrong. It's that the spirit with which they held a lot of these things was wrong and it caused them to, to miss Jesus, to miss grace right in front of them. Um, you know, for example, they weren't content with what the Bible said on certain things. So they created what became known as a hedge around the law, conflating the traditions of man with the commands of God. And Jesus said, this is a big problem for you because you, you know, now you've taken your secondary traditions and you've given them divine authority, you know? And so you see that in Southern Baptist churches. And a lot of times that's going to show up, not the only place, but a lot of times it shows up in political um, questions is we then go beyond what the scriptures teach. And we say, and if you're biblically wise, this is what you're going to do. And there's nothing wrong with having that conviction. There's nothing wrong with the tradition. It's when you begin to give that the authority of God. Um, you know, Jesus said that the Pharisees were more focused on the minute parts of the law 
you know, all the while ignoring the weighty parts of the law. Here's what that looks like today. You know, we have people in the Southern Baptist Convention and the evangelical world at large that expend a whole lot more passion decrying, you know, something like critical race theory than they do lamenting the the devastating consequences of years of racial bigotry and discrimination. And by the way, I I think that we need to bring every thought captive to 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 Christ, which means that anything that comes out of the world, you know, critical race theory or anything, we got to submit that to scripture and say, man, the worldview implications of this are wrong. The ideological formulations are wrong, but um, you know, we got to submit all that to scripture. So I'm not trying to at all lessen our theological rigor in that, but you know, the weightier parts of the law, which is, you know, years of suffering by our brothers and sisters of color and uh, an evangelical church that's you know, in large part, turned a deaf ear toward that and the the pain that that has caused and the damage of relationship and even the pain today. I mean, that that's something that a believer, a Christian is, you know, that's the weightier part of the law. That's that kindness and, and mercy. And it just seems like, you know, the Pharisees, they strained at a gnat and swallowed a camel. And I think it's very easy for a group like the Southern Baptist Convention to, to just adopt the patterns and the feelings of the of the Pharisees. So I'm grateful for what happened in the 80s when we got rid of the liberalism and we needed to, but there's another side to that um, gospel mission and that is the 11 of the Pharisees. And we've got to, um, we got to be faithful there because Jesus is not going to go the unbelief, the liberal direction, but nor is he gonna go the Pharisee direction. Both of them considered Jesus their enemies following Jesus, following the gospel is going to take you a different place than either Pharisee or, or liberal.